The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 21, brought to you by the five folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. It's K-I-S-T. Follow my work at BleedingGreenNation.com. As always, here with me to break down the quarterbacks in the league and coming into the league via the draft is QB1 in my heart. He is Mark Schofield. Mark. How are you doing this fine day? I'm doing fantastically well, my good friend. And I mentioned this before the show. If it sounds like a, a, a clip scene or something out of GTA 5 in the background, getting the roof done right now at the old Casa de Schofield. Like a gentleman. You shouldn't hear anything, but if it sounds like some tapping, that's not, you know, Franklin unloading on me or anything like that. It's just some nail tapping on the roof. You should be good. It's the go. telltale heart. And it's a telltale heart. Oh, I should look under the floorboards. We should do some literary references, some more of those on the show. But historical references, let's kick it off. We're recorded on today, April 11th. Getting close to tax day. Men, women, listen, gentle listeners, please get your taxes in. Now, on this day, though, Napoleon Bonaparte abdicates and is exiled for the first time. Dude gets exiled and abdicates his throne twice during his time in France. This first time comes down in April 11th when... Thinking that Russia was plotting an alliance with England, Napoleon decides, I'm going to launch an invasion against the Russians. Now, it's kind of like starting a land war in Asia. How often do invasions of Russia actually work? Napoleon found out that they usually don't. Hitler found out that they usually don't. So in 1814, Napoleon's broken forces retreated from Moscow, give up. Napoleon offers to step down in favor of his son. The French are like, nah, no, we're not going to play that game. So he abdicates. They sign the Treaty of Fontainebleau and he gets exiled and sent to Elba. Now, a year later, he escapes, comes back home, thinking he's the returning hero, and he reclaims his emperor title because he's got people behind him. But then he's defeated at Waterloo, and he has to abdicate again. See, now my historical reference actually kind of ties in with that because it's going to be brief and not at all related to the main topic of the show, which is taking stock of the quarterback rooms around the NFC East. I want you, gentle listeners, to at me with any army up to, let's say, 1850, that would defeat the Mongolian army at its height, at its full strength. And here are the terms. You separate the two armies by 100 miles, with various terrain features throughout that stretch of 100 miles. You have one year to achieve a route or 
full destruction of the other army. So that adds a movement component rather than them just staring at each other across the field in a pitch battle. Because when we talk about Napoleon and we talk about the Mongolians, these are mobile armies. So at me with an army pre-1850 on Twitter, at Michael Kiss NFL, that beats the Mongolians at their height, at their strength. And keep in mind, if you say Napoleon, who, by the way, failed in Russia where the Mongolians didn't, I am very well prepared for that. So a challenge for the listeners. And Mark, I'll now challenge you to tell me about these NFC East quarterback rooms. Do you have anything to add? Are you going to challenge me at all on the Mongolians on the field of battle pre-1850? I would say before the breech-loading rifle, if I'm not mistaken, was around that time. First of all, I think it's fantastic that you delineated the time frame by the breech-loading rifle. I just think that's so (laughs) fantastic. And just so the gentle listeners know, I woke up this morning. I'm getting the kids ready for school. I'm driving them to school. I see the DM comes in from Mike. and I'm like, oh, it's Thursday. It's recorded day. And it's not anything about the show. It's <laughs> what army pre-1850 is better than the Mongols? That's the Twitter DM. Like That's how my conversation today started with Mr. Kister. You were cooking this up last night, weren't you? Yeah, I was. And this was an argument that I had last summer as well during the dead time. So I'm trying to bring that back up and I really want to <laughs> Try get to prepare it. the gentle listeners for – Let's be honest, everybody. We're all grown-ups here. May and June, mm. they're like the grass seas. Yeah. <laughs> There's not a lot to discuss or look at. And yeah. so we're going to be doing things like talking about historical armies and maybe doing some football movie discussion because, I mean, there's a conversation there. Greatest fictional quarterback. I like that. I'm going to make the case for Reno Hightower. I'm oh, going to die on that hill. That and your Brett Rippon hill, your two biggest hills. I fought. <laughs> I lost. Now I rest. Yeah. <laughs> That's me. I'm Sir Alexter in like three weeks when Brett Rippon is still there at pick like 215. And I'm just yeah. like, I've spent three years talking this guy up and <laughs> now I rest. You know, it's so interesting because with this quarterback class, we've had to do a lot. Like the last time we did the Game of Thrones comps. So we're already stretched for ideas with this quarterback class. So what we decided to do is go outside of the draft for this one because I hate this quarterback class. But what we're going to do <laughs> is since this is Bleeding Green Nation, we're going to talk about the NFC East quarterbacks, those rooms, what their future looks like. And you did an article for Pro Football Weekly where you give the Meisters counsel about what these teams should do with their quarterback situation. So we're going to start with the Cowboys. Then we're going to go to the Giants after the break. We'll get to the Eagles and the Redskins. But first, with the Cowboys, you look at who they have on staff there on the roster, Dak Prescott, Cooper Rush, and Mike White. Now, there's a looming extension for Dak coming, one which Stephen Jones qualified would have to be a quote-unquote team-friendly deal and is projected to push into the $150 million range for around six years. Now, that term, team-friendly could mean a lot of things. He could simply turn around and say it's team-friendly to lock up your quote-unquote franchise quarterback for several years. It could mean that there are option years that they want to put on there. It could mean that they're trying to negotiate a lower price, which they probably are. But I think it's pretty doggone likely that a deal gets done that costs them somewhere around $25 million a year, at least in that ballpark. Mark, what do you think about the quarterback room in the Cowboys? What advice would you give them? It's interesting because putting this together – You know, it's a good way to sort of reframe your opinions and take sort of that bird's eye view of each team and how they're approaching the position. And there is a case. I'm not saying it's the right one. I know who our listeners are here. I'm not going to, you know, stick my neck out too far. 
But there is a case that the Cowboys have the most stability at the quarterback position right now. Not saying they have the best quarterback room or the best quarterback. Mm. But look, you've got Dak Prescott. Now they do have the decision to make about the extension. Let's face it, he's going to get paid because they're in that boat where they've got a quarterback that's good enough to retain, not bad enough to really cut bait on. Mm. And so they're going to sign him. And they've got, you know, the two backups that they've had in place for a year or so. So they've got like three solid guys. And now there's a decision to be made about Cooper Rush and then do this decide that, look, we'll move on and have Mike White. And then, so they don't really have a decision to make in terms of acquiring anybody else. Like, I think they're set for right now. The decision is going to be how much they're going to pay Dak Prescott. And now the team-friendly aspect is going to be, are they going to go down like the Saints road and basically just say, we're just going to keep shoveling money at this guy and then kicking that bill down the road? Because Hmm. when you look at the Saints, when they just restructured Breeze's deal in March, now it's a situation where his contract for the 2020 season comes completely void once the 2019 league year ends Mm. and there's a situation a hypothetical where he could not be on their roster next year but they still have to pay 20 million towards the cap a 20 million dollar cap hit that's wild that bill is going to come due and so steven jones might say team friendly is something that avoids that situation right we could get into the dak versus once wars and people probably know where i'm going to come down on that question But the Cowboys, given the roster and given the fact that Dak has been good enough, they're going to have to pay him. The problem becomes you've got other guys you're going to have to pay. You've got the Ezekiel Elliott that you're going to have to pay or Byron Jones and Jalen Smith. And you're looking at this is like that 2014-2015 Seahawks frame, right? where you've got the rookie quarterback that you drafted in the later rounds that's led you to the playoffs and you built around it. But now guys are going to want to get paid. And is Prescott enough to overcome some hard decisions that will have to be made at other positions? Again, that's a different question. But in terms of just pure stability, looking around the rest of the NFC East, the Cowboys and the Eagles are in the best two situations. Now, you could rank them one, two, two, one, however you want to do that. And we can maybe do that later. But Cowboys are pretty okay right now, especially when you look, say, to the Northeast. And we're going to talk about the Giants. But real quick, in this article, like I said, you gave some, some Meister's counsel on what the Cowboys should do at the position. Yeah, they got to decide on the extension, Yep, uh, whether to resign him or at least seek to resign him. I think they'll do that. Obviously, they're going to bring him back. Rush is a different sort of question. I think, look, a team always needs a solid backup option. So they should at least sort of maybe handle it how the Eagles handed Sudfeld. Although, again, I think he's an unrestricted free agent, so they can't really put a tender on him. Rush is signed through 2021. I just looked that up. That's oh, his rookie 2021? contract. Oh, yeah. well, that changes things. Well, then they really don't have anything to do. Come to a, come to an agreement with Prescott. Like, that's the yep, big question. How much do you want to pay him? All right, let's go to the Northeast, and let's talk about a much worse quarterback situation with the Giants. I'm going to go straight to your Meister's counsel on this. You say, quote, perhaps a milk of the poppy for everyone. Honestly, if it were me, I would be pushing the Rosen option hard. The Cardinals are indeed drafting Kyler Murray with the first overall selection. Otherwise, draft your next best quarterback option with that sixth selection and prepare for the future winter is coming, unquote. I think that's brilliant, Mark, and I think that's the proper summation of what the Giants should be looking for at the quarterback position. Eli Manning ain't it. If they want to win now and if they don't want to waste four years of their running back, they have to do something at the quarterback position 
now. You start getting your offensive line set, and then all of a sudden you trade Odell Beckham. And we've talked about the plan or lack of a plan with the Giants pretty much all offseason, and it, and it spiked when they traded Odell. But if you're going to get anything out of this rebuild offensive line, they just resigned Sterling Shepard. Like you have to do something now. GMs don't have time to wait. Like I don't, I don't understand. Like Dave Gettleman is not signed to a ten-year deal like John Gruden is with the Raiders. He doesn't have that kind of time. GMs just don't. They have to do something at quarterback. And I think the right move would definitely be going for Josh Rosen, who, in my opinion, would be quarterback one in this class over Kyler Murray. I was pretty high on Rosen. I think you were as well. So, Mark, you want to explain your philosophy on what the Giants should do? I think we're pretty much in agreement on this one. Maybe not even winter is coming. Winter is basically here. Oh, yeah. Winter's been here. Yeah, you've got to make the best of a bad situation. And I've said it too. If Rosen were in this class, I would still have him as QB1 over Murray and Haskin. Now, part of that is I had him QB1 last year, and I'm not giving up on him yet. And I don't think teams should. We talked about him at length in an earlier show. I think his yeah. season last year was better than people are giving him credit for. Sort of similar to the discussion we had about Wentz. People remember the way his season ended, and they ignore the good stuff he was doing before that. And so he would be the best quarterback in this class, I think. And so if you can get him, great. If not, don't wait. Don't play this game where, oh, you know, we'll draft, you know, uh, Devin Bush or Devin White at six or Rashawn Gary at six, and then we'll get our guy at 17. Don't leave it up Mm. to the gods. Like, draft your guy at six. If you've somehow talked yourself into Daniel Jones being your quarterback, don't risk that the Bengals will draft him at eleven. Or some other team draft. Well, the Redskins at 15. Just draft him at six. You're going to take heat for it, sure. But you're going to figure out this quarterback situation. Because like you mentioned, Mike, they're starting to build around a rookie offensive skill player. in Saquon Barkley. You want to make the most of his window. So get the rookie quarterback in and make sure you're ready to, like next year, make your sort of Chicago Bears year two with the rookie quarterback type of run. The more you kick this can down the road, you're going to be in a situation where Barkley's going to want to get paid. You can't add free agents or that many free agents around the rookie quarterback you eventually draft. I haven't done that much work on the 2023 class, but I've heard it's not that great. And so winter is upon us. Fix this situation. Draft your guy. Of course, having said that, if they draft Daniel Jones at six, we're all going to be laughing on the timeline. But if that's who you've identified, then just draft him. So if it's him, if it's Haskins, go get Rosen. Just fix it. Fix it. I think the idea that the Giants would take a quarterback at 17 is just foolhardy. Just wait to see who drops yeah. there. Like, that doesn't happen with quarterbacks. That uh, The last 11 quarterbacks drafted, I think it was only one, Baker Mayfield, that was, dra- that was drafted number one overall that wasn't a trade-up. You have to be aggressive with this. You don't want to let anybody get in front and of you. And let's mention for a moment here, because there's always this dichotomy. We talked about it with Brett Rippon between guys like us, you know, the men and women on the outside that are doing this, and then the people that right. have sources or are a little bit more plugged in. And one of the discussions last weekend into the start of this week from people like Greg Gabriel and Jim Nagy, who of course is going to stump for a senior bowl guy, but still, <laughs> you know, into Matt Miller. Oh, if the Giants like Jones, they're going to need to get him earlier than six. And of course, everybody, myself included on the outside, was saying this is ridiculous. Look, if he's there at 32, I don't know if the, I want the Patriots to touch him, <laughs> but that's the dichotomy here. And clearly, look, 
the guys like Gabriel and Nagy and yes, Matt Miller, they're hearing things. And of course it's lying season. You take it all with a grain of salt, but I'm sure that there is some truth to that. So the idea that they can just sit there at 17 and expect Daniel Jones to fall into their lap, that might be a little bit misguided. They might be trusting Ramsey thinking, oh, he's your savior. He's just going to lead you back to the dread fort. Do you think ultimately they can get Josh Rosen with, let's say, let's make a little bit cheaper for him. Let's say pick 17. Do you think that's a possibility? I mean, I think 17 should do it. You know, yeah. the question is, we keep here in Washington and what's Washington offering? The rumor is their second, which is what, 46? So I, I think, you know, 17 should definitely do it. And I, I think that's fair to get a quarterback that for all intents and purposes, was, he was a top 10 draft pick last year. And I yeah. think would be top quarterback in this class. And so I think that should do it. Now, what, what do the Giants have in the second round? They have 36. Seven. Hmm. I mean, I think if you have got to, got to go to 37 to get above that Washington pick that they're offering, yeah. which I want to double check. Yeah. I mean, I think you could do it at 37. Yeah. They're offering, if they're offered 46, then you go up to 37. And then does Washington jump and offer 15? Right. You're in a position where you probably would have to package 17 and maybe, you know, one of your later round picks or maybe 17 and 96. Yeah. I mean, that's preferable to me than, than drafting Daniel Jones, but we're obviously lower on Daniel Jones yeah. than, you know, a lot of people in the NFL. And let's not forget our good buddy, Bryce over at Sports Info Solutions put together that piece that showed that 72% of his throws were zero to one read throws, right? All the quick schemes. That's a steep learning curve. Like you could do it. We saw it with Foles. 50% of his throws were the same, but it's a learning curve and it's going to be steeper for him than some of these other guys, especially a guy that's been in the league for a year. So our advice to the Giants, get a quarterback somehow no, just do it <laughs> whether it be rosen whether it be daniel jones even though we wouldn't agree with it you have to take a swing at the position if you don't want to waste the prime years of the offense that you're building the offensive line that you finally built up and it was interesting because in the offseason you know leading into free agency i was like you know this giants team actually looks like it's not half bad both me and solak were saying that we were down on the giants the last couple of years saying that they were going to be bad and they were but coming into this year, we're like, man, James Betcher, the defensive coordinator, did more with the talent that they had than we thought he would. He did a great job on the defensive side of the ball. They've got some weapons. You know, Eli just has to be not absolutely terrible. He just has to be average Eli with all the playmakers around him. And now they're in a completely different situation despite having built the offensive lineup. But that is our advice to the Giants. Go get yourself a quarterback. I don't care who it is because it's not going to be Eli Manning leading you to the promised land. Stop walking through the desert. Winter is coming. Get it done. After the break, here on Bleeding Green Nation, the QB Scro Show, episode 21, we are going to get into the other teams in the NFC East, mainly the Eagles and the Redskins. That's up next on the QB Scro Show. And we are back on the QB Sco Show episode 20, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. So we're going through the quarterback rooms in the NFC East. We have two teams left. We've already done the Giants and the Cowboys, and now we've got the Eagles. So your Meister's counsel on this was, quote, the Eagles should look into inking Wentz to an extension in the near term. In addition, while Luis Perez is an interesting option, the AAF quarterback that they signed at the third spot, with the uncertainty around Sudfeld's long-term position in Philadelphia, the Eagles should look to at least add a day three selection at the quarterback position to give them some options for the future behind Wentz. And a popular pick for me, and another hill that we continue to absolutely die on on this show, is Brett Rippon in the sixth round. Uh, You could also be looking at Tyree Jackson from Buffalo as a developmental guy, big guy with a big arm, might be fatally flawed with his mechanics because he's so tall, but that's a whole different discussion for another day. But overall, I mean, I think inking Wentz to a big deal 
is a no-brainer. He is yeah. absolutely going to get paid. Uh, Luis Perez is an interesting sign from the AAF. We'll see what happens with that. Sudfeld is fascinating because they put a round two tender on him. So they uh, they want to keep him. I think that's worth something like $3 million this year. Yeah. So it's nice and cheap to keep him as a backup, as a developmental guy. We've talked about his preseason where he impressed both of us. Overall, what do you think about this quarterback room for the Eagles, what they should do? I mean, I, I think it's a pretty solid group. I mean, they're going to have to ink once. I mean, again, similar to the discussion about Prescott, and I don't want to stray too far, but let's just face it. If I'm forced to choose between Dak and Wentz, I'm, I'm sticking with my man. I mean, Wentz was QB2 for me, and so I still prefer him to Dak Prescott. But both of those guys are going to get paid. And so that's decision one. Decision two is the Sudfeld part of this. And the interesting thing to consider is, look, restricted free agent this year, so they were able to put the tender on him. Now, maybe there's a decision that you know we're going to come to sort of a long-term agreement. That might make some sense too, you know, because let's face it, Wentz does have an injury history. And so you're going to want to make sure, as every team should want, to have a viable plan B behind them. So there is that aspect to it. But if they don't reach a sort of long-term agreement with them this year, and they just have the tender situation with him, he's an unrestricted free agent for the 2020 season. And that could be hmm. interesting because you look at the list of sort of unrestricted free agent quarterbacks. You've got some guys at the top like Brady and Breeze and Wilson, for example. And yes, Eli Manning, although he'll probably have a six-year extension with the Giants. So you can kind of take him off that list. And then you've got the decisions that have to be made in Tampa Bay and Tennessee. Winston and Mariota, those guys are on one-year deals right now. Do they get long-term deals? But then after that, you can make a case that Nate Sudfeld might be sort of the prize, like next guy to get a deal and get a shot at a starting job. And so as a potential hedge against that possibility, I thought it would make sense for the Eagles to sort of bring in somebody that they could look to possibly develop. If worst case scenario, you can't get a deal done with Sudfeld and he does walk, get a big contract offer, then you've got a guy that you could move up. Is Perez that? I don't know. I mean, he got a lot of buzz okay. week, you know, for the first half of the first week of the AAF season because he looked great. But then he struggled. And I think it took him until like week four or five of the AAF season to throw a touchdown. He got benched and then the league folded. Yeah. And yes, he's a darling out of Division Two. Tony Ricopi, we know him. We love Tony. He's a fantastic guy. He's his private quarterback coach. If Tony thinks the world of him, then I do too. Uh, but I still think you might want to bring in a day three type quarterback just in case as a potential hedge because you might have the situation behind Wentz to worry about. You know, you mentioned Jackson. He might go a little bit sooner than we think. Yeah. He might come off the board day two now. Mm. Rippin, I think, would be fantastic. We know how about I feel about him. Gardner Minshew, say what you want about him. But look, there'd be some schematic familiarity with what he's run under yeah. Mike Leach and what Doug Peterson is running. And so he could be a name that they would be interested in. And so I think you could go that kind of route and at least have a potential backstop if Sudfeld does walk next year. But the bottom line is this is a pretty solid group. You gotta pay, you're going to have to pay once. I like the differences in personality between Minshew and Wentz. I think that's a really interesting dynamic. Like they should get an apartment together and they should do a reality show. I mean, because you could just picture Minshew coming into that quarterback room and being like, get out of my seat, Carson. Wentz yeah. being like, what? It's like, no, get out of That's where I'm sitting. And then he just stares into his powerful mustache and just yeah. gets up and moves. And he's wearing jorts. Like that <laughs> image of him with the aviators, the jorts, and the mustache when he was yeah. at one of Washington State's spring practices. I was dying. And let's also admit something. We can do this. His quads looked great. I don't want to say Saquon situation, but he looked good in those jorts. Yeah, man. I'm a man. I can admit that. 
He's doing some great. light presses. And if guys. nothing else, if the if this doesn't pan out, when they reboot Magnum PI like 10 years from now for CBS 2, when I'm in the nursing <laughs> home and I'm watching CBS every night, I want Gardner Minshew to play Magnum. I love his personality. I'd be all yeah. for him here in Philadelphia. He was so much fun down in Mobile. Yeah. I mean, because first you had Matty Brown asking him about why cross. Our good friend Matty Brown from across the pond. You hear that thick English accent from across the room asking about like why cross and Mitch breaking it down. And then I ask him about running Leach's offense and he's like, let's face it. You know, that system gets you more prepared for the NFL than some of these, quote, pro-style offenses. And he literally uses air quotes. I'm like, sign me up. Yep. Patriots pick 97. Just grab this guy. I don't need to see any tape. Just trap this guy. Because, <laughs> I mean, I want to see him, you know, behind Brady. You know, two situations in New England. I was talking about this with Phil Perry from NBC Sports Boston. I was on his podcast last night. Minshew with Brady would be fantastic. Similar to Wentz they were just talking about. Or Will Greer. And we talked about this. Will Greer, New England, and his hair game would make Brady have to step up his hair game again. Because let's face it, Brady's gotten stale in his old age with the hairstyles. I want back in the day Brady with the long flowing manes and just doing crazy <laughs> stuff with the mustache. So I think Will Greer or even Minshew would cause Brady to step up his hair game. Now we've really strove across the narrow sea here. We should kind of <laughs> center this discussion again, shall we? Yeah, no, I want to dial back to that air raid thing because, I, you know, for so many years, and especially with like Texas Tech quarterbacks, and you had Jared Goff coming out of the bear raid in California, like these things were used as pejoratives, but the right. NFL is more of an air raid offense than it is like these more quote-unquote pro-style offenses right. that you would see like with the I formation and the play action and the seven-step drops and all that stuff. Like this is an air raid league, and they use right. a lot of those kind Concepts like the Eagles use air raid concepts mixed with run and shoot, mixed with West Coast, mixed yeah. with you know all the all these other things. And air raid really permeates offensive game planning in the in the passing structure so much that it's no longer, and it should no longer, especially with the success of Patrick Mahomes, who's just a crazy person who's awesome. But Jared Goff has had success as well. It should no longer be a pejorative that somebody came from an air raid system. It should actually be a good thing as long as they can run it and get through all the difficult progressions that more difficult advanced concepts in there then it's no longer pejorative which i think is so refreshing that the mindset on that has changed over the years there are three reasons you could point to why this is happening one is to what Minshew talked about yes the air raid system for whatever you want to say about it it does task the quarterback with making full field reads right this was a discussion we could get to about Russell Wilson if we want to, <laughs> but it does task the quarterback with making full field sideline to sideline reads. And if you watch Minshew, for example, you will see him on mesh, peak the backside wheel, work the mesh, peak the front side wheel to the flat. That's four to five reads sideline to sideline on a given play. Now they're only running for Leach, maybe like 15, 20, 25 concepts, and then you eye candy and decorate it up. But still, that's more in terms of a read progression structure than some NFL quarterbacks are doing, like Nick Foles. Remember, 50% of those were zero to one read play. So that's yeah. part one. Part two is you're getting these kids that grew up playing in air raid systems, then coaching air raid systems in high school and then to the college ranks. Now those guys are getting pro gigs. Right. They're going to run what they know. Sort of the next evolution of the, you know, these old school coaches that I don't care what system you ran in college, we're going to run it my way. Well, for now, my way is, look, we're going to do some air raid stuff. And every team, every team, like the Patriots run mesh, like every team has these designs in the playbook, whether they run them is a different question. And then finally, 
It's the pure money aspect, which is kind of the undercurrent for this discussion, which is if you draft a rookie quarterback, you need him to be competent because you can't wait You if you sit him and let him develop for three years. You waste three years of that rookie deal. You got to play him. So you can build around him and maximize that economic window. How do you get him to be competent? You run what he ran in college. And for most of these guys, it's going to be some air raid stuff. And so you put those three things together. That's why we're seeing more air raid in this in this league right now is because they've been coaching. So now they're going to call it in the NFL. It's a way to make your rookie quarterback somewhat competent early, running the stuff they ran. And it works. Yeah. And it asks these guys to make reads. And so you can be effective running this stuff. It's so funny because with Foles, you mentioned, you know, the 50% one-step RPO concepts, the RPO coming from college. And then six or seven times a game I've seen, especially against the Houston Texans, listeners of the Kiston Solak show will know this. If, if they listen into the film reviews and the recap shows, they run a ton of mesh sit wheel and other air raid concepts that they integrated into the offense. Like they are like the epitome of a college offense for a lot of their offense. That's just, it's not college offense anymore. It's the NFL offense. Anyway, we're, we're going, to, going off on a whole trail there. Mike, are we- are going to get to the NFC South today? No, we are not. <laughs> we, we had that in our back pocket if we needed it. We definitely don't need it, but we can use it for future shows as we look around the rest of the NFC. But let's get to the final team in the NFC East here. Let's go to the Washington Redskins, whose rostered quarterbacks are Alex Smith, who probably won't play this year. You've got Case Keenum on a $3.5 million deal, something like that. They traded a late round pick for him. And Colt McCoy, the legend, your Meister's counsel was, quote, similar to the Giants situation, Washington should consider addressing the quarterback position early in this draft by acquiring Rosen via trade. If the deal for the former first-round pick cannot get done, then Will Greer from West Virginia is a suitable option early in the second round. Mark, hit it. Lock and Fora tells us that Smith is probably done, and I think there might be some truth to that. You can look at Alex Smith and sort of take him out of the equation. He might not play football again. And I think you have to, as a smart organization, would prepare for that eventuality. That leaves you with Case Keenum and Colt McCoy. And Case Keenum got basically run out of Denver and replaced by whatever's left of Joe Flacco. (laughs) And so there's that aspect to it. And I don't think anybody's looking at Colt McCoy and saying – all right, well, if, if Smith and Keenum don't pan out, Colt McCoy is going to bring us to the promised land. I don't think he's the prince that was promised. And so you put this all together. They also have to address quarterback. I don't think they could just say we can staple it together with these guys. That's not going to work. So this is why we're hearing so much that they're digging around Rosen. And you hear conflicting reports. Some people are saying, look, this is close to getting done. Others are saying it's not a serious negotiation. I think this is one of those, you know, where there's the biggest fire the North has ever seen. There's actual fire. It's not just smoke. And so I do think that they're going to acquire Rosen. If they don't, maybe you don't draft a guy at 15, like, and maybe one of these guys aren't going to be there. Like if this draft does shake out where Jones goes earlier than we expect, you know, maybe Haskins falls. He might be the guy that's fallen right now. And maybe that's stuff being put out there by a team like Washington that wants him to fall to 15. But if one of those top guys isn't there, I wouldn't force it at 15. I think you could do something different. And then you can come back in the second round. And I think Will Greer would be there at 46. And I think he makes a great deal of sense for them because let's face it. Greer is the aggressive quarterback that I think this Jay Gruden offense needs. You look back yeah. over the past couple of seasons, even back to Kirk Cousins, there were times that you know, we talked about this earlier. You know, they lost a game against Dallas, and Gruden was asked about some opportunities missed in the passing game. He basically said, We had the stuff schemed downfield, and for whatever reason, our quarterback didn't see it, i.e., Kirk. Come on, man. <laughs> and so <laughs> then you replace him with Alex Smith, who, let's face it, Captain Checkdown, and now you're going to replace yeah. him with Case Keenum, who got run out of town for being way too conservative. And so I think this offense needs a guy with some 
turnips, as they like to say. Yeah. And, and so Greer might be that guy. And you know, if they can't get the deal done for Rosen, go get Will the throw. I think it makes a lot of sense for them. We had that discussion during the season as we were previewing the Washington game, looking at their current quarterbacks, which was a mixture of Colt McCoy, Mark Sanchez, Josh Johnson, all those guys after Alex Smith went down. And we were surprised when we looked at the film. We said, Jay Gruden is not dialing back this offense no. whatsoever. And it's, no. he's not going to. <laughs> no. no, I mean, he, he's like an, he's like a mini Arians. No risk it, no biscuit. Because I remember when we saw – was Colt McCoy. We we, expe- yeah. we put on the tape. We expected him. To- oh, he's going to be running like slant flat 15 times right. a game. No, he's not Mike McCarthy. Not at all. He's yeah. Bruce Arians. They're running like Yankee. They're running like aggressive Mills concepts. Four verts. Scissors. Yeah, four verts like every other play. It's like, all right, like this is what I'm going to call. Now he needs right. a quarterback to run that. And Will Greer might be the guy in sort of the top of that second tier of quarterbacks if the top, say, four or so, assuming it's Murray Haskins, Locke, and Jones are gone by 15, which they very well might be, then maybe you wait and you draft a Greer or maybe even a Stidham at 46. And I think those guys would make a lot of sense and would be upgrades over at least McCoy, maybe even Keenum. And I think you'd have to say in a rather morbid sense over Smith right now because we don't know if he's coming back. Mark. I think we covered. I think we covered the NFC East quarterback situation. I just need to soundbite real quick. Who is the top quarterback room in the NFC East? The most stable, I think, right now is Dallas because, look, they've got three guys that have been there for a while. But if I'm going to pick the quarterback room that I want to coach and I want to build around going forward, it is still going to be the Philadelphia Eagles because, again, if I'm forced to stand on the hill, Dak versus Wentz, I have been on that Wentz hill for years now. And I've built a castle now. I'm very comfortable here. You're not moving me from here. I will not yield. I do not sell. You're not Spartacus wrapping vines together to climb off of Mount Vesuvius. I'm the so three-eyed that's, that's raven. I've been sitting here for a thousand years, letting the roots grow <laughs> into me. The marks, that's going to do it for the QB Sco Show, episode 21. Remember, gentle listeners, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star review, leave a written review. If they're funny or particularly mean to Ben, I will read it on one of the shows when we do one of our iTunes review shows. That's probably going to be a summer thing for us because, again, yeah, summers are the dead months. But anyway, we appreciate all of your support. Remember, subscribe, grab your girlfriend's phone, grab your wife's phone, grab your family's phone, subscribe on there, download all the episodes. It'd be great for us to pay some bills. But thank you for listening in to the QB Sco Show here on Bleeding Green Nation. Mm-hmm.